Today's episode is brought to you by PrepDish.com, a genius subscription service that sends you weekly real food-based paleo and gluten-free meal plans that include organized grocery lists and detailed meal prep instructions. Cook once and you're set for the week. It's a time saver. Give PrepDish a try for two weeks free and for those two weeks, you'll have the answer to that dreaded daily question, what's for dinner? Right now, PrepDish is offering our listeners a two-week free trial. So go on over to PrepDish.com slash common sense and give them a try. You're going to love it. Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, where we have smart conversations about pregnancy, parenting, politics, healthcare, feminism, and all kinds of stuff. I wrote the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, which you can pick up everywhere. You can also pick up on my website if you want an autographed copy. And that book is based on all the stuff I know about prenatal care, labor, and birth from 20 years of labor and delivery nursing. You got questions? I got the answers in that book. So go pick up a copy. Oh my goodness, there's a lot going on in the news right now that's pertinent to our interests, isn't there? Um, Let's see. The New York Times ran this headline this week, New York to expand use of doulas to reduce childbirth deaths. And I'm just going to read the first paragraph of that. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced on Sunday a series of initiatives aimed at addressing a disturbingly high rate of maternal mortality among black women, who are four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women, in New York State, according to a study released last year. The plan includes a pilot program that will expand Medicaid coverage for doulas, birth coaches who provide women with physical and emotional support during pregnancy and childbirth. Um, Great. Excellent. I think that that's just wonderful that that's happening. Um, not only does it, you know, kind of raise the status of doulas in the industry, you know, by allowing for them to be paid properly, of course, um, but it's it's increasing the standard of healthcare for the women who need it most, and only good can come from that. Uh, ProPublica ran this one, Redesigning Maternal Care. OBGYNs are urged to see new mothers sooner and more often about the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists' 11-page committee opinion on optimizing postpartum care, which was released this week by the American College of OBGYNs and represents a fundamental reimagining of how providers, insurers, and patients can work together to improve care for women after giving birth. Well, that's wonderful. I'm really glad that they're looking at this because far too often what happens is that, you know, women are, you know, they're delivered, they're discharged from the hospital, and then it's bye-bye, see you in six weeks, or, you know, call us if you have trouble. And they're not seeing physicians often enough to identify, you know, what can be some fairly significant health complications in the postpartum period. What I'm more concerned about during the postpartum period, though, is not so much healthcare access, but support systems at home that help women get the rest they need, um, you know, have other sets of eyes on them to make sure that they're doing well. You know, I'm I am glad, though, that there are so many things in the paper right now that are opening these conversations up. And go find these articles and check them out. Um, 
Hands down, though, my favorite current event right now is, yes, I'll be honest, the birth of the royal baby. Why? Not only because I think Princess Kate and Prince William are adorable, or because it's her third and I have a soft spot for mothers like myself who do this more than twice, but also because of how um, her birth models a completely normal delivery. You know, they do things a little different in the UK where there's, you know, less rush to intervene. Uh, you know, the Duchess of York waited for labor to start on its own. She was delivered in a well-staffed, well-organized hospital setting. But in the UK, women are cared for largely by midwives and obstetrici- obstetricians are also involved. Um, but, you know, normal women are treated normally with midwives. After a few hours, Kate did her royal duty, showed off her new son to the world, then rode home to recuperate in private with a team designed to support her during the postpartum period. Um, We were just talking about that, weren't we? That team that women need. I love that she showed the world that birth is a completely normal function. And while certainly most moms wouldn't dream of getting dressed up and stepping out in front of an army of photographers, you know, hours after giving birth. But Kate showed that it's on the list of things that are possible because most births are normal and most moms are capable of, you know, doing amazing things if they're given enough credit and support. So go Kate and the British model for prenatal and birth care. You know, one of the things that happens with first-time mothers that doesn't happen so much with mothers of many, like myself, uh, is how much advice you'll get. How many people will share resources and books and parenting philosophies? You know, there are a million ways to do this thing of raising our kids. And when it's your first one, you know, naturally you want to know how other people do it. How do they get over the hurdles? How do they, you know, how do you raise healthy, reasonably polite, happy, and high-functioning kids who can eventually live their own lives? It's a big question. It's a hard question. And depending on who you listen to and what books you read and resources you access, the answers can be fairly confusing. You know, one expert will talk all about the virtues of sleep training, while another will call out its harms. You know, another will recommend this, you know, new way of doing things, and another will recommend something else. So, how do you know what to do? When you have a few kids, People don't offer as much guidance. They figure you've got it. You've figured it out and hopefully you're doing a fine job of it. And generally people are right. You've figured out how to raise your kids in your house and your community with your resources. And on any given day, chances are good you're doing just fine. Chances are excellent that you and your children are going to turn out healthy, reasonably polite, happy or happy enough and fairly high functioning, whatever all that means to you. Now, if you have three, four, or more kids, you've definitely found your parenting mojo, your rhythm, your parenting style. You've figured out what advice works and what doesn't. And it's a relief in a way because you don't have to figure it all out from scratch. That is until one of your kids is totally unique and does things in a very different way. Then it's time to haul out the books again and seek the advice of the experts. So we're going to talk about some of that with today's guest. Jen Lumanian is the host of the podcast, Your Parenting Mojo, and we're going to dig into that after a word from our sponsor. Hi, Allison. It's Jeannie. Thanks for coming on the podcast with me. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So my question that I ask every guest who comes on the podcast, Allison, is this, who are you and what do you do? 
I'm Allison Schaff. I'm the founder of PrepDish.com, and I make mealtime fun and easy. So, you know, my prep dish meal plans include an organized grocery list and instructions for doing meal prep ahead of time. It really helps streamline meals for, um, you know, for busy families. I love this. I love this, the the concept. I love the menus. And you know what I particularly like is the gluten-free options because I have one of those families where we've got a couple vegans, we've got some gluten-free, we've got, you know, mm-hmm. we've got the gamut. And that four o'clock question, mom, what's for dinner? I love that it's taken care of. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's amazing what a little plan can do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, getting it all done on Sunday afternoon is brilliant too, because then, you know, you've got the rest of your week to do your job, get your kids where they got to go, do the whole thing. It's fabulous. Yeah. I always say waiting until five o'clock to decide what's for dinner is like the worst time to be making that decision. (laughs) Yeah. For me, the witching hour was always four o'clock. That's when everybody would come (laughs) finding mom to say what's for dinner. And I would almost always realize, I I don't know. I don't know what is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Allison, I really appreciate your sponsoring the podcast and I know that Prep Dish is a brilliant idea that's going to be really helpful to a lot of parents out there. So, what I want to ask you next is this. What is your very best parenting tip? Well, in terms of meals is to always have a freezer meal on hand. So whenever I make something like a soup or a lasagna, I double it up and have some in the freezer. So those weeks when maybe you don't get to your meal prep or you just you need something last minute, it's nice to always have something healthy and homemade in your freezer. That's really good advice because you know what you're going to do if you don't. You're going to do some fast food or you're going to do some junk or you're going to do something that's no good for anybody. That's a really good tip. Well, Allison, thank you for coming on and talking to us. Is there anything else we want to let listeners know? Um, no, just if they want to try out PrepDish, they can go to PrepDish.com slash common sense, and we have two free weeks there. Try it, guys. You're going to love it. I promise this. Okay, Allison, thanks for coming on and chatting. We'll talk again. Thank you. Okay, we're back and we're ready to get today's guest on the line. I mentioned that Jen Lumanian is the host of the podcast, Your Parenting Mojo, but she's also the parent of a preschooler and she has two master's degrees, one in psychology focused on child development and another in education. Her podcast is a reference guide for parents of toddlers and preschoolers, and it's based on scientific research and the principles of respectful parenting. In each episode, she takes an issue related to child development and examines it from all sides to help parents understand how to make decisions about raising their kids. Last week's episode with Daphne Adler, last week's episode of Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, was all about debunking myths with math. This week is about making parenting decisions with science. Let's get Jen on the line. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hey there. Good, thanks. Good. It's a bit of a crazy day over here. How about where you are? A little bit crazy too, but enjoying spending a little calming down time now and talking about important things. (laughs) Cool. Well, you know, let's dig right into it. My first question for you is, who are you and what do you do? 
Well, I, I guess I first define myself as actually a human being rather than as being a parent, um, living an imperfect life, but doing my best. I, I am also a wife and a mother, but I consider those things to be sort of supplemental to the human being part. And my daughter is three and a half years old and her name is Karis, like Paris, but with a C. Mm-hmm. So um, I love to learn. And actually for the first time in a long time, I am not a student, which is kind of strange and freeing at the same time. <laughs> All right. That's a really interesting life description. Yeah. Yes. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, your professional side, what that's about. Well, there are a couple of different professional sides right now. I have a day job. <laughs> so I uh, work in a, at a consulting company and I also have a side gig, as it were. I have a podcast, which is called Your Parenting Mojo. And I gather up information on child development from the scientific literature, from the anthropological literature. And in each episode, I take a topic and I basically say, you know, what's going on here? What does the preponderance of the evidence say? What are the different angles of looking at this? And try and translate that into uh, tools that parents can use to make decisions about how they're going to approach their parenting. That's a really important service to be providing because, you know, as we both know, there is just so much information out there and there are so many right and perfect ways to raise these children. (laughs) (laughs) yes literally and also people telling you there are even more than that (laughs) and so yeah it's it's basically the resource that I wished I had had a couple of years ago when I sort of got out of the the baby stage and into the toddler stage and realized that I needed a whole different set of skills and every scientific study was telling me something different and I needed to understand, you know, what, what does the totality of, of the evidence say? Not just what does this study tell me, which might be 180 degrees different from what. Oh, I know it exactly. Just when we get really, really invested in one particular study or model as, you know, the perfect (laughs) be all end all solution to all parenting problems, then Mm -hmm. we find out that no, no, that one was wrong. We made a little mistake on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or the methodology was incorrect, or nobody's been able to replicate it, or yeah, I, I, we'll probably yeah, be talking so, some more yeah. about those kinds of so things. So <laughs> you've got a master's in psychology um, in child development. Mm-hmm. Have you always been into child development, or did this yeah. come along after you started raising kids? <laughs> yeah, I was never into child development. Oh. I never thought I'd be a parent. I, I had absolutely mm-hmm. no interest in having children whatsoever. Uh, but I basically decided that I didn't want to be responsible for the biggest disappointment in my husband's life. And so (laughs) he really, really, really wanted to have kids. Although he did acknowledge when he married me that if we Uh didn't do it, that would be okay. Um, but I knew that deep down in his heart that he really did want to. And so we, uh, actually I made the decision to go ahead and, and do that. And so it's worked out pretty well so far. I'd say I went in with very low expectations and it's expectations considerably. So yes, yes. So yeah, I got the master's in psychology basically because I realized that I had no parenting skills whatsoever. Uh, but I had great research skills and <laughs> I could close the gap with the former by using the latter. So, and then I followed up on that with a master's in education because- Okay. I'm really I curious. So well. did you start this master's program when you found out you were pregnant or when you were thinking about getting pregnant? Uh, no, I had already had her actually. And so you had a new baby and then you got a master's? Yeah. I mentioned that I love to learn, right? <laughs> yeah. And new mothers are so badass like that. 
But you know, I'm all, I, I find a reason in every episode when I'm talking to mothers to talk about how you know we have so much creative juice during mm-hmm. our pregnancy that you know it often spills over into the rest of you know our life. I mean, it's pretty yeah. remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely never saw my life going in this direction at all, but it's been a pretty fun transition. Yeah, I was going to say, so now that you're here, how's uh-huh. that? <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's going really well, um, which is awesome. <laughs> Not at all what I expected. And I think one of the foundational tools that makes me so confident in this is something I discovered not right at the beginning, but probably when Karis was about four months old, and that's a concept called respectful parenting mm-hmm. or resources for infant educators. And so I, it's kind of a funny story actually as to how I found it. I had a couple of friends here and they had a, I think he was about two years old son at the time. And they were hanging out in the living room and their son, Jack, ran down the hallway towards our bedroom and they had, the mom called after him and said, Jack, don't go in there, please. That's private. You can come down to the living room again, or you can go into the nursery. And he stopped on the threshold of our bedroom. He peeked inside, he turned back around and he ran back down to the living room. <laughs> and I said, how did you do yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what is going on here? Because I'd been, I, I mean, it sounds ridiculous. My daughter was four years old at the time, but I had been sort of wondering, sort of worrying at the time, you know, how do I be a parent who is able to set boundaries and not have a child who walks all over me without being the parent who always says no. Yeah. And so they told me to read this book. It's called Resources for Infant Educarers. Uh, the book is actually called Your Self-Confident Baby, and it's about resources for infant educarers. And that's uh, uh, shortened to RIE, R-I-E. Mm-hmm. And it it changed my parenting, which I guess has changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to know more about it. And so so this happened when your daughter was four months old? Yeah, yeah. So so we didn't start right from the beginning, which I, as a parent, I have some regrets about. I definitely have a lot of pictures of me doing things that are not at all respectful of her, <laughs> which is a, a core competency. And, you know, an example of that would be standing her up on the table when she's two months old and clearly cannot stand by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and so I look back on that period and I sort of think that I missed an opportunity and I, I, sometimes I beat myself up for that, but other times I think, you know, when we know better, we do better. And I didn't know, and now I do. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So the core principles of right, I mean, it's really one principle, it's respect for children. And the, the RIE organization that sort of oversees the training of, of RIE associates has a goal that parents sort of take as a goal, which is to raise an authentic child who feels secure, autonomous, competent, and connected. And so I think it can be a little strange for parents to think about respecting an infant. I think in a lot of cases, that's something that sort of comes when the child can sort of answer back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But And so so how is that demonstrated? Well, one example would be before you pick the baby up, you say, can I pick you up now? Or if it's not a choice and you have to go somewhere, you say, I'm going to pick you up now. And so it sounds strange, but I have actually seen babies who were raised right from the beginning. And when you say, can I pick you up now or I'm going to pick you up, they stiffen their neck because they know that you're about to pick so them up. So they're prepared, and physically they're prepared. Yeah. They're physically prepared. They're cooperating with you. They're helping you. 
And so it's, it's a very different view, I think, than the one I started out with, which is you just pick the baby Grab up. and go. <laughs> yeah, the baby doesn't understand. <laughs> the baby does understand. <laughs> and the baby can demonstrate that if you can sort of talk to them in, in a way that you and they can understand each other. And so as they get older, that sort of translates into more concepts like giving them options. So instead of just, we're going to do this now, it's, do you want to do this or this? And, and both of the options you present have mm-hmm. to be acceptable to right. you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's so a respect is really the core principle. Got it. Yeah. So um, I think in your bio, we mentioned growth mindset. What is that? Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah. <laughs> I just did a podcast episode on that, actually. I've been seeing so many ads in my Facebook feed for these growth mindset journals. I don't know if you're I'm getting not. them as well. But, uh, oh, okay. I, maybe it's because I did the episode. <laughs> but yeah, every several times a day, I get ads for these growth mindset journals. And so I had read this book. Uh, it's called Mindset. It's by Professor Carol Dweck. She's been at Stanford for, I think, decades now. And I read it uh, a couple of years ago. And so the, the basic premise is that there are two different mindsets, two different ways that you can think about skills and abilities. One is a fixed mindset. And that says that intelligence and abilities are fixed. And there's not much that you or I or anyone can do to change those things. And the other one is a growth mindset, which is that intelligence and abilities are changeable and you and I and anyone else has the power to change them. And so in the book, there's an example of some drawings that people did of people who thought that they couldn't draw and they drew a self-portrait and it was like I would draw a self-portrait. You know, it's an oval with for a face with a couple of ovals for eyes and a mouth and a, you know, a blobby nose and that was it. <laughs> and then they took a drawing techniques class and six weeks later they did another self-portrait and they looked like recognizable people. And I thought, I have always thought of myself as a person who can't draw. <laughs> and yet now I see that drawing is a skill that can be learned. And I had absolutely no idea. And it turns out that there are so mm-hmm. many skills that we think of as, as fixed and actually they are things we have control over. And so what we can do for our children mm-hmm. is instead of saying um, things like, you know, this is really difficult or um, I, I guess math, math is not your strong suit or <laughs> you're just not good at this. It's, it's more like, mm-hmm. are you struggling with this yeah. right now? Which leaves open the door for there's going to be a future time when <laughs> this is going to be easier for you when you're going to master this skill. You know, t- tying your shoelace and tying shoelaces are difficult when you first start, but Exactly. Yeah. It's the power of yet. Yes. A kid will say, I can't do this. Yes. And I'll say yet. And so I think there's a lot of value in that idea. And so I I researched the all of the studies, well not all of the studies, but a substantial number of the studies that went into mindset theory. And the big problems that there are, are that the, the whole theory is based on one study that was done about 30 years ago that has actually never been replicated. It was done on a really tiny sample of children. And so it and several of the studies that followed it really had some significant methodological problems. And occasionally they actually report findings that are different from the results that they found in the study. So they will say in the study that something was not statistically significant in the results section. And then once you get to the discussion, which then becomes the abstract or the executive summary section, that becomes it was statistically significant, (laughs) this result. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it seems as though the concept has been 
kind of overblown, which was a bit disappointing. But uh, I believe that it still has some merit, but I do not believe that it's going to be the be-all and end-all that I think a lot of policymakers see it as, because here in the state of California, schools are now measuring children's mindsets and their grit and teachers' compensation decisions are based on, in part, on the findings of those assessments. And school quality assessments are based, in part, on the results of those assessments. And the tools just really are not robust enough to be able to do that yet. So um, I think there are a lot of problems with taking what is essentially a theory that has some evidence supporting it and translating it into something mm -hmm. that's supposed to fix. I mean, it's, it's touted as the tool that's supposed to fix Poor children, basically, um, who come into the, the yeah. school system yeah. disadvantaged. Healthcare, we do that in you know all kinds of social uh -huh. situations and social constructs. Yeah. We take a real good idea that sounds great, <laughs> and then we put it down on paper and make everybody yeah. do it, and then we go, oh. wait. That yeah. Right. <laughs> and yeah. We've, we've done this before. We yeah. did it with self-esteem in the 90s in California. I wasn't in California then, mm -hmm. but it was touted mm -hmm. to be the thing that was going to fix all the state's woes. And there was a massive paper published on uh, how it was going to be used in schools and it was going to save a fortune and reduce crime and reduce so use of social services. And then a few years later, uh, Professor Baumeister published a review study that basically said, this is not going to work. <laughs> and mm -hmm, lo and behold, right. there's not a massive push for this right now. We're onto mindset, we're onto grit. And, you know, frankly, it's it's kind of insulting to <laughs> tell somebody who's come from a poor background, if, if you only thought differently about your life, <laughs> you, you would be so much better off when, I mean, they face so many challenges beyond this, structural challenges. Many of them have come from circumstances that have physically changed their brains. Uh, not necessarily poverty itself. It's not poverty itself that's damaging. It's some of the circumstances that are often associated with poverty. But mm -hmm. um, it, and we're telling those children who may not physically be able to make these changes, you need to make these changes and you need to think differently about yourself when what might be more powerful is just a really warm, loving relationship with a teacher. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you provide some pretty specific tools parents can use for dealing with common parenting challenges. So let's share some of those with listeners. And I think that, you know, when you and I were, were uh, emailing before we set this episode up, you were talking about some of the big ones like weaning and sleep training and things like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I, you, I haven't actually what you got for us. <laughs> well, I haven't actually done an episode on weaning. Um, I have done one on sleep. I have done a couple on tantrums, actually. And so, yeah, I, I always sort of think about how are these things associated with Rye, with respectful parenting, and, and what does the science say about them? And and so Rye's basic stance on weaning is that nursing is for food rather than comfort, and it should be done slowly and gradually in accordance with both the child's readiness and the parent's readiness. So if the parent is ready, <laughs> that, that's a good indicator that it's time. Mm -hmm. uh, but other than that, it, it's relatively silent on that issue. Uh, as far as sleep training goes, I think that that was a very interesting episode for me because what I learned was that while the American Academy of Pediatrics says thou shalt not co-sleep right, <laughs> and many states have, have put out ad campaigns, there's one on the buses in Berkeley where I live uh, all the time uh, warning people not to co-sleep. Mm -hmm. I recall seeing one in the research for the episode, I think it was out of Minneapolis, where there was a child sleeping peacefully in, a, in an adult's bed with a comforter 
uh, and a knife lying next to her on the bed as if co-sleeping was as dangerous as leaving your child unattended with a six inch knife. Yeah. Yeah. And so (laughs) there's this incredible bias against co-sleeping here when throughout human history, this is the way people have slept with their children. Mm -hmm. And and (laughs) in most cultures around the world or in many, many, many cultures around the world. In many, many cultures around the world, co-sleeping is still Mm -hmm. practiced. So it's not that co-sleeping itself is dangerous. It's that co-sleeping as it's practiced in Western households is dangerous on a soft mattress with a comforter and big pillows. And so, yeah, so that distinction is Mm -hmm. missed Mm -hmm. for sure. And so the other interesting part of it was the idea of sleep training and Parents in other cultures, in many other cultures, don't sleep train. They just they just keep co-sleeping. And as a result of that, they firstly, they think that getting a child to sleep in their own room in the dark by themselves is tantamount right. to child abuse. Right. It's cruel. And secondly, they report essentially a zero incidence of sleep training problems. <laughs> but of course, the problem with that is that they are often in cultures where there are 15 different aunts and siblings and people around who can always hold the baby and everybody drifts off to sleep at 10 o'clock and you know i have studying to do (laughs) that's not going to work for me (laughs) so ultimately ultimately what the science comes down to uh all all the studies on this basically are different ways of doing cried out training um different tools that you can use to withdraw your presence gradually over time. You're staying in the room, patting on the baby's back, um, sitting outside the room, moving further and further away across the carpet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And basically it's about how much crying can you stand? (laughs) Until the child decides that they can do it without you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's, there's no real study saying that that is not harmful for a child. There's one professor who sort of has put out a lot of studies saying he doesn't think that it's harmful to a child, that there's basically no evidence. Although the way that he measures that is through cortisol spikes, which uh, to get super technical for a minute, it has a very short half, half life. So it disappears out of your body very quickly or reduces its level. And he was measuring it the morning after. So by mm-hmm. which time there wouldn't be much cortisol left anyway mm-hmm. from the night before his crying. Mm-hmm. So so we don't know for sure that it harms the child. We don't know for sure that it doesn't. But whatever study you read, it's, it's all about how much crying can you stand. Right, right. And most parents, you know, they can't take it. It's, it's painful. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's uh it, it's too hard to listen to your child cry like that. Yeah. 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 And so some children are able to do it by themselves and we got mm-hmm. lucky. <laughs> we we got one of those. She's she not all the time, but the majority of the time and so that works well for us. It it meshes well with our needs. But the I think the problem you get is when the baby's needs don't mesh with the parents. You know, the baby wants to co-sleep and the mother can't sleep at night when she co-sleeps. And and when you have more than one child. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and things the bed start just getting... can't get big enough. <laughs> right. And different people's sleep styles. Mm-hmm. You know, things start compounding. Yeah. And then when you add in, you know, families have all kinds of sleep schedules, depending mm-hmm. on when people are working, when they're studying, you know, it, it can get pretty difficult. Yeah. 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 But just know that science doesn't have a right answer. And whatever you are able to negotiate it, as in your family. Yeah, whatever <laughs> gets right you right in the night, baby. Family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as, as long as it's heading you towards the direction you want to go. You know, oh, if, yeah. you, if you're fine with sleep with co-sleeping long-term, keep co-sleeping. If you're not fine with that, then 
co-sleeping for right now is eventually something that's going to have to change. And the longer you leave it, the harder it's going to get. Yeah. Got any tantrum tips? (laughs) Well, Rye actually has quite a bit to say about tantrums. And I guess the first thing to try and do is is head off the tantrum at the pass and (laughs) be really at all yeah avoid them be really clear about setting limits and firstly be sure that a limit is needed in the first place um which i think is a is a trick that took me a while to get my head around but the idea is to try and let yes be your default answer Mm -hmm. unless there's a really good reason to say no Mm -hmm. and so that can get you out of a lot of sticky situations where you say no to something and then you're like damn, that's not really a hill that I want to die on, but I can't let it go now because then she'll learn she can walk all over me. (laughs) So being really firm and clear about that in your own mind before you start can really help. And then tantrums are inevitable. You know, they do happen. They happen cross-culturally, I was interested to find. Um, Children in many different cultures do have tantrums, so this is not a problem we've created for ourselves. (laughs) But uh, Rai's basic approach is to say, I hear that you really want the candy. You know, if you're in the grocery store, they want the candy. They're not letting you out of that store. (laughs) I I hear that you really want the candy. I'm sorry, we're not going to buy it. You seem really frustrated. And then assuming this is some form of dialogue, I do hear that you really want the candy. I'm sorry, we're we're not going to buy the candy. And if the child can safely be removed from the grocery store and you can get outside, then do that. Sometimes the child's too heavy and you just can't and you just have to go with it in the supermarket. (laughs) And basically the idea is to acknowledge the feelings and let, let the tantrum come and know that it will be over at some point. And then you can work afterwards on addressing what is the root of the issue. Uh, And maybe it's just that the child isn't ready to go grocery shopping yet. Maybe they can be left with somebody else while you go to the store for a few weeks. And then my daughter loves to go grocery shopping. So I would say, you know, I need to go grocery shopping, Karis. Do you want to come? And if she does, then we're not going to buy any candy. Are you okay with that? We need to agree on this right now. And if she says yes, then we go. And if not, then we leave it for another week. And it's not a punishment to not come to the store. It's just something that's not going to work for us right now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm wondering if, you know, what you thought about parenting um, before you had (laughs) Karis is anything like what you've learned about parenting now that you have her. I would say that I guess I I didn't really think, oh, this is what parenting is going to be like, but I would say I had a very traditional view of parenting because I didn't know any better. So mm-hmm. I, I come from England where at least 30 years ago, we didn't really use timeout. I, I know that it is more common now. I think they call it the naughty step <laughs> on the, the nanny shows, uh-huh. but it's essentially the same thing. But I have yeah. obviously heard of it since I've been here and and I had no reason to assume that I would never use a timeout. <laughs> um, but I actually heard a, a funny story from a, a parent who has been raising her children using the same principles. I guess they were at a pool party or something and and uh, another parent said to their kid, you know, Johnny, you stop kicking water at that other kid or are you gonna get a timeout? And so my friend's kids turned to her and said, mom, what's a timeout? <laughs> And so that has kind of become my goal as well. (laughs) That at some point she's going to have to ask me what a timeout is, what a punishment is, because she's not going to (laughs) know. Because we have this relationship where we problem solve together. 
if she has mm-hmm. a tantrum, then I accept it. We move on. And it, brushing teeth was a great example. She went through a phase where she hated brushing teeth. And so finally I said, Karis, this, this is clearly not working for either of us. You, you clearly don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it. What can we do to make it better? And she was probably only a little over two, but so I, she wasn't coming out with so many ideas as I was coming out with ideas and she was saying yes and no. And eventually we came up with the idea that she would get to pick where we brush her teeth. Oh, a and little bit of control. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it is. And so she yeah. was feeling like I was imposing this thing on her, that she had no control over it whatsoever, even though I tried letting her pick the toothpaste and the toothbrush and, <laughs> yeah. and how yeah. we do it and what we sing. But, but that little extra, where do we, do we do it in the living room? Great. We're going to brush teeth in the living room. And it got us through that phase. And so just having those tools available to me is not something I had ever considered before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds helpful. It sounds real yeah, helpful. It, yeah. It, it has changed my parenting and my life, I would say, to have come across this approach. And I, again, my only regret is I didn't do it sooner. <laughs> so it changed your life in that it's easier for you to parent or because you use yeah, these tools in other arenas? Uh, a little of both. I, it's definitely easier to parent, I believe. I don't have a lot of the struggles that I see a lot of parents have around me and that I see posting in Facebook groups and the like. And, and that's not to say we have no struggles because we do, but uh, there, are, there are things I feel like I can, can manage. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest, my biggest fear when I became a parent was that I wouldn't know how to do it. I wouldn't be able to develop a relationship with her, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, I my my mother died when I was young. I didn't really have any parenting role models. I, I had no idea what I was mm-hmm. doing. And so how do I even form a connection with a child? I don't know. You know, I thought I was going to be the parent she would ignore when she comes home from college and she'd go hang out with dad. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's still time for me to screw it up. But right now, we have such an amazing relationship that's based on loving each other, but also on respecting each other. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And, you know, that's the foundation you set out now. It'll mm-hmm. probably continue that way. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the podcast a little bit. Why mm-hmm. did you decide to start one? And, and, you know, what is the parenting genre that you're trying to fill? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's basically the resource that I wished I could have. It, it was less of a conscious decision to fill a gap in the market and more of a, I need to learn this stuff. And it seems sort of silly to be doing all this research and not sharing it with anybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I actually started out with a blog and then I realized that people don't want to read 5,000 word blog posts. Esoteric Nobody has the topics. time. Yeah. No, but they're happy to multitask while driving home in the car or whatever. Sure. And so that was where the idea for the podcast came from. And, and yeah, it, it, was just something that I wanted. I I wanted something that would help me to understand the totality of what the evidence says and, and combine that with the anthropological view of, is this a problem we've created ourselves, uh, like sleep training, or is it universal, more like tantrums? And so how do we go about addressing that in a way that is respectful and is grounded in science, but isn't a slave to science? And so, yeah, that's, that's why I started it. Got it. And and how many episodes do you have now? More than sixty. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I read there's a nice <laughs> thing there for people to go yeah, and for sure. I, I read somewhere that a lot of podcasts, the majority of podcasts don't get beyond episode ten. And 
I usually have a couple months planned out at a time and, and not too much beyond that, but it always seems to keep more <laughs> there. There are always yeah. more topics that people are interested in. So I take uh, episode suggestions from listeners pretty regularly. They email me and say, I'm wondering about this. And I say, well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that works yeah. out pretty well. Well, what else do you want listeners to know about you and the podcast? Well, you can find it at yourparentingmojo.com. And if you subscribe to the show on my website rather than through iTunes, where you can also find it, you actually get a newsletter every other week because I publish new episodes every other week. And so on the episodes, on the weeks that I don't publish, I send out a newsletter with just little snippets of research that I've been reading and that may form the basis for an upcoming episode or that dig into something that we did in a previous episode. And I just kind of, you know, spend a couple of paragraphs locating those studies within the body of evidence so that people can really feel as though they're keeping up with <laughs> what's going on and and that just because the episode has been out for a while they're not getting the latest and I also post calls for questions and every once in a while I actually look for co-interviewers as well I bring parents in to interview somebody on a topic particularly where I don't have expertise on it mm -hmm. like raising boys mm -hmm. I did a great uh, interview with Dr. Judy Chu who was in the film um and now I'm blanking on the name of it. Uh, it was it was about raising boys, uh, and it had a catchy title that is so catchy I'm not remembering okay. it. Um, but I can send that to you, and you can put it in the show notes if you like. But um, but yeah, it was it was just about how boys are raised to deny their feelings and to kind of squash their feelings because real boys don't cry, mm -hmm. real men don't cry. When actually you're sort of setting yourself your your child up for some difficult problems later in life, if, if that's the case. Yeah. A lifetime of emotional disability. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left together and I have a couple more questions that I like to ask. Okay. So how would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. <laughs> that I would have a kid firstly <laughs> and two master's degrees related to it and a podcast to share that information on respectful science-based parenting with the world. I, I would never, ever have seen my life going in this direction, but I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> life is often like that. We have no idea what we're in for. <laughs> so often yeah. it turns out so much better than we think. Yeah. Was it John Lennon who said life is what happens while you're making other plans? I think so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, then our last question is this. Where are you in your life as a mom? Mm. Well... I guess that sort of follows on in that I'm where I never thought I would be. I have an awesome relationship with my daughter that's based on love and respect. And I'm actually, I'm, I revel in enjoying the present, but I'm also so excited to continue to support her along her learning journey. And I'm actually also developing courses because I spent a year trying to figure out if homeschooling was the right decision for us and realized that other people might find that useful too. So I developed a course to help parents figure that out. And for parents who don't want to or can't, I'm also developing a course on uh, supporting children's learning in school. So I'm excited to see how my life and her life are going to kind of follow on this parallel track. You got a long road ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Well, Jen, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it. And let's once again, let everybody know where they can find the podcast. Sure. They can find it at yourparentingmojo.com. Thanks so much for having me, Jean. You bet. And we'll talk again down the road. Sounds good. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Mama said. Mama said. Mama said.
thanks again to our sponsor, Prep Dish, and head on over to PrepDish.com slash common sense, all lowercase, and grab your two-week free trial. Our guest today was Jen Lemanian, and you can learn more about her at YourParentingMojo.com. You can learn more about me at JeanFaulkner.com. Tweet me, email me, send me your questions and comments, and please pick up a copy of my book, Common Sense Pregnancy. It's everywhere. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thanks, Alex. We'll talk again next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh!